Welcome to the latest edition of Talking Data. Our Talking Data series seeks to offer timely insights into macro market themes along with macro data and its impact on the economy and markets. I'm Kristen Radish and I will be your host this morning. Our presenters today are Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. Today we will be recapping what happened last night and how the markets will react. Jim, we're going to get started with you today. Um, if you want to just start us off with, uh, give us a morning recap of what happened through the night and where are we at now? Uh, I think that the watchword is gridlock and surprise. Uh, gridlock because the Republicans look like, although not everything is set yet, it looks like they're going to hold the Senate and they're going to lose maybe one seat. They could have lost as many as three and still held on to the Senate. So they're going to hold on to the Senate by a razor-thin margin. Surprise in that while it's looking like, as we record, Biden may have won the presidency, it was really close. And um, hats off to the betting markets for saying that Trump had about a 40%, 42% chance of winning this election. That looks like it was about correct. And this 3% that the economist forecast had or 10% that 538 had was way, way off. Just one quick number. Um, it looks like Biden won the national election by about 1.7 to 2%. Most of the polls had him between about 7 and 11% winning. So there was a huge sh uh, surge or shy Trump vote that came in. The, the Republicans also picked up seats in the House. Not enough to flip it, but they picked up seats, which was a surprise. And they did very well in the governor races, at least the high-profile governor races that have been called right now. So all in all, other than the uh, presidency, the Republicans had a very good night or the Democrats had a poor night. Uh, and then it looks like but they might have gotten the big prize in terms of the presidency. And it was a, a squeaker. Now, what does that mean for markets? Uh, I think it's all been about this idea of fiscal stimulus. The economy is still struggling to recover from COVID. And uh, we'll talk about this in the next section, but we might have another surge of cases coming uh, as well, too. And it is desirous of the markets are desirous of some kind of support from Washington. And it looked like we were going to get that support. But after those election results, it might be more difficult now to not only get a stimulus deal through in the lame duck session, and if we get one, it'll be small, but even after January 20th, it, when Biden becomes president, assuming that that, that, that trend still holds, um, it's going to even still be difficult to get something through because now you've got the Republican Senate that is standing there that can block anything that they don't like that comes out of the Democrats as well, too. So that is definitely, I think, the biggest takeaway from last night. Ben, how about you? What's your thoughts about what you saw last night? Yeah, I think that you know everybody's surprised, shocked. The uh, the demographics that turned out, like we talked about uh, before this call with Latinos um, and so on, uh, was a you know was a big surprise. And even looking at some of the alternative data to try to get a flavor and get away from the shy bias. Some of that was, um, you know, was proved to be, uh, you know, somewhat incorrect too. So there's not many people that were able to get this, um, you know, called correctly. And I think that's why we're seeing kind of a vicious rally um, in the treasury bond, uh, treasury curve. Um, and then we're seeing some heavy flattening 
um, and kind of and then heavy you know rally in the tech industry. Um, and I think that you know we're all trying to sort through this. Um, uh, so we get the certainty of a Biden victory, but then we get this Senate that is um, you know still Republican. Uh, House stays uh, Democrat. Um, I'm, I'm with Jim. The the story here then is what happens with that fiscal stimulus, and then also what happens, of course, with the COVID response going forward, with the uncertainty that Trump unfortunately brings to that. Um, and that is not necessarily a recipe for rampantly higher long end yields, um, and will ultimately, I think, uh, potentially be a roadblock for risk assets here going forward. Maybe not the tech industry. Um, but I think it's it's going to be it could be a tough road here for the next number of weeks or months. Yeah, and I'll just throw in, you know, um, we usually don't talk short term, but since it was such a momentous event, that you're right, you've seen a giant rally on the long end of the curve. I think that that's a combination of no stimulus means less supply. Any kind of idea that we might stimulate into inflation has been, you know, cooled a little bit. Although <clears throat> I personally don't think we're going to go, like I said, through 33 basis points, the March low, unless things really fall apart and we're going to have a corrective phase. Stocks, this is looking like the day after 2016. I know people are going to look at stocks and go, wow, they're up almost 2% on the S&P. And you said, you know, almost 4% on the NASDAQ. They were last night around midnight up that much. And by 3 a.m., they had given all of that back and were down 1.5%. And now they're back up 2%. So, you know, if, if you like 50 point moves, you might get a couple of them today at the rate we're going um, right in both directions. If it's anything like the day after from 2016, which it seems to be shaping up on. And don't forget, in terms of stocks, last week, the S&P was down 5.6%, its biggest weekly loss since March. So it's still working on a retracement. It's not establishing a new trend or breaking out, at least not yet. Uh, and, and maybe that's all it's doing is it's working on a retracement. And if we're not going to get fiscal stimulus, we're not going to get a slog. Uh, we're going to get a slog in the economy. We might eventually get a slog in stocks. And that March 2nd high at 3580 on the S&P, it might still hold for a while more as we move forward from here. Yes, I think that gets to the next question, um, right? Yes. Yeah. And why don't you talk about um, what really matters to investors from for the next steps? Yeah, so I think, you know, Jim, I think is, is spot on there. The What we've seen, uh, let's talk about two different things here. One being the high frequency data that's coming in on consumers and their intentions and willingness to spend. And that peaked really in the first or second week of September with this big crescendo that we saw on COVID-19 and then the upcoming uncertainties surrounding the election. That has um, receded. If we look at search activity for everything from appliances to taking, you know, getting a car rental to so on, um, that is about you know five to ten percent below baseline expectations, which is not too far removed from where the S and P 500 pulled back almost ten percent. So we're going to need to see consumers come back from this election and from trying to battle COVID-19 and stay healthy and see their intentions to spend improve in order to see the stock market as a whole continue to do well and potentially rebound. And then also for the treasury uh, treasury yields to also maybe stay not so locked within that trading range they've been in and be able to kind of see this nice slow rise in yields. The other side of the coin is the fiscal stimulus. And if you look at news sentiment, um, we can, we're able to burrow into the TV uh, television news archive to do this. 
and look at the day-to-day -day sentiment regarding fiscal stimulus. And that has had a high correlation, anywhere from 0.5 to 0.75 uh, for small cap stocks, tips break-evens, long end of the treasury curve, um, and so on. So as that sentiment wanes and potentially gets worse, as Jim was just detailing, that is going to be a headwind. Uh, for a specifically small cap stocks, tips break evens, and I think that you know the long end of the curve. Uh, so we'll have to see how that ultimately develops as well. During these kind of situations where we have kind of a high degree of uncertainty and uh, specifically regarding uh, uh, fiscal policy and monetary policy, you get this weird thing where the swaption volatility curve, which essentially is you know, let's look at the, the very short-term, you know, near-term one-month volatility on treasuries or swaps relative to the three-month outlook or one-year outlook, that inverts. Um, that's somewhat unusual. It happened during COVID-19, it happened during the great financial crisis, and so on. When those that situation short-lived, when you have all this uncertainty that's impacting bond investors over the short-term, when that happens and is very short-lived, that's a good thing, uh, typically, uh, for equities. And that's a good thing for dampened treasury volatility going forward. If that inversion can persist, which is possible uh, for a number of weeks, that sets up a scenario that's usually pretty, um, not disastrous, but poor for risk assets and typically uh, quite bullish for treasury. So if you're gonna watch any one kind of wonky indicator, I think you really wanna watch that shortened volatility. Jim's talked a lot about the move index, the one month, I think you want to watch that one month relative to the three month or 12 month volatility. We get that inversion to last. This uncertainty over the election, COVID-19 is persisting and that could mean treasury yields are stuck and, uh, and equities will likely um, have a rough go at it. You know, you brought up a word, I can't believe we went this far into this podcast without talking that much about COVID-19 because if yesterday wasn't the election, I think the big story would have been the U.S. reported 86,000 cases yesterday, uh, <clears throat> which is the, the second or third highest day ever. But there's a strong day of week pattern in COVID that it usually peaks on Friday or Saturday, usually about 20% higher than whatever it is on Tuesday. So it's very likely, if not today or tomorrow, by Friday, we could breach 100,000 cases. And that will lead to reaction. As I've talked about here, the reaction function is cases. You can't have 100,000 cases. When, and if you're a governor, you can't just say, oh, but the death count's down and nobody's dying from it. We got better therapeutics, so go about your business. Uh, you're going to have to react. And you're starting to see that with restaurants shutting down and everything else. And even if you don't do that, there's enough people that are afraid of this. As I've said before, to be blunt about it, you can't tell, you can't scare the shit out of people for six months telling them if you get this, you're gonna die and then go, okay, now it's okay, it's just the flu. They still think that if they get this, they're gonna be terminally sick. So if they see 100,000 cases, they're not gonna go out. They're not gonna economically be active. And so if we get over 100,000 cases, there's your, there's your drag, there's your drag. You wanna know why your, your Google searches are showing that we're not buying appliances and everything else? I don't wanna go to Home Depot if everybody's sick over there and look at, and, you know, look at new refrigerators. And so that I think is going to be in the background here. And now it's gonna be interesting to see how we're gonna behave on it because post-election now, the politics of whatever you think we need to do has been removed. And I have a feeling, this is my thought, and I hope I'm wrong on it, but the politics are removed. I think shutdowns are more likely, not less likely um, at, at this point, but especially 
um, in some of the northern climate states where you know everybody's saying it's going to come indoors. So that leads to more of a slog and you know struggling market as well too. No, I think that there's no doubt about that. And one thing to watch here is getting to your last point there is how often are politicians, governors, mayors talking about these lockdowns and quarantines. And so the last run that I did yesterday showed that the average COVID-19 press, presser and briefing is, includes those words, quarantine, lockdown, on average seven times. And so that's well over twice what they were just a month ago. Uh, so not that we necessarily get national lockdowns or even localized lockdowns, just like you said, the, the pure mention of it does resonate with consumers. And we can see that with a dampened um, indications to spend. So that's that's definitely a must watch. Yeah, I, I, I've got a number. I've got a number of elderly relatives and friends that have said to me straight up, I see the case counts are going up. I'm not going, I'm not leaving the house. And And if you get enough of that, it does impact the economy. And I think that that's going to be the bigger problem that we're going to have as we uh, sit back and we watch all of the fighting uh, about who won the election um, as we move forward from here. Well, and the last thing point I'll make is I think that ultimately, no matter how you feel politically, the, the decision here, if, if Trump won, which would be obviously a big surprise, um, that does bring with it more uncertainty around COVID-19, most likely, uh, versus a Biden victory, which might help dampen some of that uncertainty. Um, so it's obviously the the more this goes back and forth, the more and more that um, makes this this environment confusing. But ultimately, um, you know, it's going to be interesting how markets react, how they react to COVID-19 under a you know, Trump administration now, which we've kind of seen uh, relative to the Biden win, uh, if that helps mute some of the actual volatility. Yeah, the last thought I would give you is um, if you want a short idea, short CNN. If, if they don't have Trump and they're, they're, they don't have something to be righteously indignant about every night, no one's going to watch them anymore. They're, they're, they're going to rue the day that they've lost their best reason for ratings, uh, probably in the history of their network. That's fair. <laughs> Jim and Ben, thank you for your thoughts and thank you to our audience for joining us today. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent research offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For further information on Arbor Research, Bianco Research, and Arbor Data Science, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.